Welcome to the Crossover Church Podcast. Although we are in Tampa, Florida, our platform is global and our impact is international. Our mission as a church is to empower people to discover, develop, and display Jesus Christ in every area of their lives. Join us here each week for inspiring messages, thought-provoking conversations, and so much more. Help us spread the word. Share this podcast on your social media platforms. Now let's tune in to today's message. Come on, clap your hands, everybody. Amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to go ahead and pull your app out, crossover app. Our notes are in there. And for those of you that are visiting with us today and had no clue about an app, um, hopefully you have notes in the bulletin that are available for you. And I want to invite you to go ahead and pull those out as well. Um, if you are sitting with us today um, or here for the first time or the second time or have not been here the last three weeks, you are walking in in the middle of a pretty um, intense series. Um, the conversation, the topic that we are dealing with um, is not your average topic, not your average conversation in a church. And so uh, let me, first of all, open this message to today by saying that this is uh, a family meeting. You and I are brothers and sisters in Christ, and today I'm calling a family meeting, calling a family meeting to deal with some things that uh, we've got to deal with, that we've got to talk about. And I want you to feel comfortable in not only hearing what's being said, but oftentimes in a family meeting, we run towards the tension. We run towards the elephant in the room. And uh, as we talk about this, I want you to know that this is a safe place, and uh, we're going to dig in and have a good time with it. Amen? As we start this series, we are in this conversation talking about Me Too. And this Me Too conversation is really, it took off and took wind, really, uh, back in November of last year. But really, it's a movement that's really about 10 years old. An actress by the name of Alyssa Milano went online and she created this, this post about Me Too, which was to bring attention to sexual abuse, sexual abuse and uh, sexual improprieties, if you would. And uh, in the wake of a particular um, scandal that took place, she wanted to encourage women to break their silence. But as I mentioned and alluded to, this series or this, this, this theme or this platform is really about 10 years old. About 10 years ago, an activist by the name of Tarana Burke, uh, you'll see her picture there come up in just a moment. She actually wanted to give African-American and Hispanic young ladies, young ladies of color, a platform or a basis to be able to share their stories of sexual abuse. And so she started this organization and this movement that has been going strong now for about 12 years um, as she started this movement. Um, This This movement, this hashtag Me Too, had kerosene poured on its fire after scandal after scandal after scandal came to light. Individuals in government and in business and in entertainment, their stories of using their seats of power and privilege um, to 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 their advantage but to the individual's disadvantage has come out in the media, and I don't want to name specific names. You've seen many of those in the news But these stories have taken off. And even preparing for this series and for this message, I went online and just started looking at some of the stories that have been shared. And I got to tell you, I got choked up and moved in an incredible way because some of these stories are absolutely horrendous. Well, Me Too made its way right to the front doors of the church. And on the back of Me Too, hashtag Me Too, these two young ladies started this trend that went online called 
church to, which was to acknowledge that sexual abuse has also happened in the church. That sexual abuse and abuse in general has happened in the church. These two young ladies, Emily Joy and Hannah Posh, put online on Twitter their story where they were sexually abused and had inappropriate encounters in the church. And eventually, this two, hashtag church two, took off and story after story was posted. Today, we want to call this family meeting and we want to talk about it. We want to deal with it. If you're listening to this and you say, well, I don't know if this is as big of a deal as some people are trying to make it out to be, let me give you just a couple numbers to help you understand how big of an issue this is. Every 98 seconds in America, someone is sexually assaulted. Even while I'm on the intro sermon, this message today, before I finish this introduction, two individuals, not just women, not just girls, but young men and young dudes and grown men will be sexually assaulted. In the past 20 years, 17,700,000 women have been sexually assaulted in America. One out, of a four, one out of every four women are sexually violated. One out of every six men are sexually violated. Barna, Barna Research Group, which does research around issues of faith, has projected, hear me guys, that 25 to 30 million Americans stay away from the church because of issues of abuse. 25 to 30 million stay away from the church because of issues of abuse. This is real. This is real. And today we're calling the family meeting because we want to talk about it. We're not going to sweep it under the rug. Is it uncomfortable? Sure it is. Is it hard? Sure it is. Are there solutions? Sure they are. The Spirit of God and the Word of God gives us, puts on a, on a pathway to deal with this hard conversation to provide some solutions. I want to make a clear statement to you today. The church has the capacity to wound and not always heal. The church has the capacity to wound and not always heal. Why do I say that so emphatically, and why do I pause to let that linger in the air for a moment? I let it linger because when you come to church, you want this to be a place of peace and healing and restoration. You want it to be a place where you can breathe for a moment. You don't come to church for drama and foolishness. You come here for recovery. You come here to be reminded that God still loves you. And yet, it can be a place that can wound and not always heal. This, this really shouldn't be lost on us because for those of us that enjoy vacations, maybe like Hawaii, you go to Hawaii, it's sun all over the place. You can hang out on the beach. For those of you that can swim, go snorkeling. Think about the incredible food. Think about the hula dancing and all the other things that can take place. An incredible place of vacation. But this same place that can have beautiful weather, that can be fun, 
can also be a place where you wonder if I can make it off of the island. It can turn into a place where the wind is blowing and raging, where it's scary because there's tornadoes and hurricanes, and you're seeking shelter in a place that you went for rest and refuge. The church can be the same place. The people that make up the church can be full of flawed people. You and I are flawed. And yet God uses incredibly flawed people to do amazing things. So we want to talk about it. It's not lost on me that there is a huge purpose for the church, even though it's full of flawed people. And I want to reference this in Ephesians chapter number 4, verses 11 through 16. When you look at this passage in Ephesians 4, you get a clear picture Watch this, that even though the church can be full of flawed people where abuse and hurt can take, can, can take place, it is not the standard that God has raised for the church. Ephesians 4 becomes the standard that God gives to us in his church. Listen to this. I want to read it. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, watch this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Watch this. To mature. Oh, we don't like that word. To mature. Because maturity invites change and growth. And sometimes change and growth is uncomfortable and painful. We ask God to, to bring new blessings in our life. We pray for those blessings, but we resist change. And oftentimes, God uses change that we resist to bring the blessings that you need. Watch what he says as I read further in this text. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every Doctrine, every wind of doctrine, and human cunningness by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Watch this. The church is not designed just to tickle your ears and make you feel good when you leave always. The church is designed to help you mature and grow so that when you leave here and you hear lies and untruth outside of the walls of the church because you know the Word, you'll be able to hear the lies and say, no, that's not God's will and God's plan. When the world wants you to give up hope and say, we're not going to make it, this is not going to work. Because you know Romans 15 and 13, that we serve the God of hope. You can declare, I don't care what the government does. I don't care how many school shootings we have. God can bring good out of bad. The church has a higher purpose than just entertaining you and making you feel good. Look what the rest of the text says. I love this, verse 15. But rather, we speak the truth in love. Sometimes the truth hurts. But just like medicine that doesn't always taste good, it's good for you. What am I doing today? What are Pastor Tommy and I doing through this series? We're speaking the truth in love because it's only when we acknowledge the truth that we can move towards freedom. That's why Jesus says, not only he says I'm the truth, but watch this. He says the truth will do what? 
freedom. That's his goal, freedom. Not bondage, not baggage, not burdens, but freedom. From whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You and I are part of the body. And so maybe one of the hats that we have on during this series is a physician's hat, and we are identifying the cancer, and today we're going to cut it out. Not going to feel good, but it'd be good for what's ails us, what ails us. Let me give you really quickly three reasons. Some of y'all are note takers, so you'll appreciate this. Three reasons of the purpose of the church. Number one, purpose of the church is to be a place that provides a process for individual, individual holistic maturity and corporate life transformation. That's why Satan fights the church so much, Benny. That's why he fights the church so much, because he knows that if you and I mature to the place that we live out God's purpose for our lives, he has no power. He recognizes. Think about this, guys. Divert your attention from government and politics for a moment, because our issue is not Donald Trump. Our issue is not shooters in a school. Because watch this, if every church person that claims the name of Christ were to mature and walk in the authority that God has given us, our world would look much different. Can you imagine if every person that knows the Word of God were to teach that to their children, and even if the law says you can't go and pray, they were to teach their children how to pray and how to walk in the authority, spiritual authority that the blood of Jesus gives us. And they walked into their, their classroom, even without speaking a word, and would declare that no demon or imps or principalities have power in their school. Can you imagine what happens in our schools? Can you imagine if, if every person that has a passion for civil social government work were to be elected into governmental offices, and while council meetings were taking place quietly underneath their breath, they're speaking that the Holy Spirit will have its perfect work in our county and civil governments. Could you imagine what would take place in every city and county in our country? Our, our problem is not government. Our problem is that the church is not being the church. Number two, the reason that God established the church is that when you and I come here, it's a reminder of grace. That as we look at the cross, we don't get stuck at Jesus being beat on the cross. We move towards him resurrecting himself out of the grave through the power of God. Because it's a reminder that God can take the ugliest situations and bring good out of it. That you and I can mess up this week, can be out of God's will this week, and yet on Sunday morning, we come with humble hearts, without any pride or pretense, and say to God, God, this week I missed it. Please give me another chance. And God reminds us in church through his body that on Monday morning, when you open your eyes, that he'll give you brand new mercies and brand new grace to get it right again. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Jesus. But then number three, what's the purpose of the church, we don't necessarily like this one, but the church serves as a place where there can be a system of accountability for discipleship and growth and development and progress. Let me say clearly, 
Everybody needs a pastor. Everybody needs a pastor. Why do you need a pastor? Why does everybody need a pastor? Because to our own devices, we drift towards arrogance. We drift towards our own agendas. And all of us need someone in our life that as we drift can pull us back in check. All of us need someone in our life that can let us know when our ego is getting too big that they can take metaphorically that little pin and pop that ego. All of us need someone in our lives that can remind us you're getting comfortable in your comfort zone. God didn't mean for you to stay here. Time to keep moving. All of us need a pastor. Now, unfortunately, there have been many that are called to be pastors. Shepherds is what the word pastor means that have used those seats, privilege and power, for abuse. Is it everybody? No. Is it some people? Yes. Just out of curiosity, if you know someone personally that's been a victim of church hurt, raise your hands. Put your hands down. If you personally have experienced church hurt, raise your hands. Wow. Now listen to me. Because this is a family meeting, let's talk about it. Because when I talk about church hurt, I want to make a clear distinction that in this message, I am not talking about folks who claim church hurt over petty issues. There are some folks who get mad because the church was painted a certain color. There are certain people, I'm leaving that church. Was that, that, did that worship team do the electric slide on the stage? I'm leaving. That pastor did not wear a tie when he preached. That is not from God. No, that's petty. Look at the person next to you say, that's petty. That's petty. It's petty. No, this message is not about the petty, but the pretty substantial issues where individuals have used their seats of power and privilege that has left trauma. Where there are literally individuals that hear a phrase and their reaction is depression. This message today, this talk today, is about individuals who have said that there is no life in the church and I'm never setting foot back on a church again. This message is about individuals that have experienced abuse in a way that has caused them post-traumatic stress disorder that has caused them to doubt the plan of God, which ultimately has caused them to doubt the love that God has. Let me say this, that regardless of the cause of the offense, the result is an offended, often bitter heart. And I've discovered through research that oftentimes when individuals are struggling with abuse that they've experienced, it's not just that they are mad at the offender. In many ways, they are wrestling with God himself. 
God, why would you allow this to happen? God, why would you let this person stay in their titled position knowing that this is who they are or what they do? God, how can you bring good out of something so traumatic and bad? That's what they're wrestling with. They're wrestling with the truth of God's word and how it lines up with their life. Pastor Rick Warren, he and his wife Kay, along with Beth Moore, did a panel about this same issue at their church a few months ago. It's one of the only few other churches that I've seen to address this. And I want to borrow a definition that he used for abuse in today's message here. He defined abuse as visual, verbal, physical, sexual activity without consent. Visual, verbal, physical, sexual activity without consent. What is the visual? The visual deals with being exposed to pictures or images without your consent. That's what I'm talking about today. So, what are the solutions? Really quickly, I want to bring out a member of ours who has experienced this in so many different ways. And by the way, if you were not here last Sunday, I would strongly and emphatically encourage and ask you to please go look at last Sunday's message as well. But Mindy is coming out to join us. Mindy Tobin, she's a member of the church and has experienced some trauma in a very real way. And so as we talk about solutions today, I want to give a couple solutions really quickly um, for a couple different audiences. And then Mindy and I are going to talk a little bit about some solutions for the victims, those that have experienced sexual assault and church abuse and church hurt. First of all, for the church, some solutions for the church, the church overall. Number one, we have to acknowledge the truth. We have to acknowledge the truth that sexual abuse could possibly happen in the church. That church hurt could happen in the church. Everything that could range from a statement that was made that caused hurt all the way up to someone literally being sexually assaulted, that it's possible in the church. We can't be so naive that everybody is here that loves God and means well that we ignore that possibility. We have to acknowledge that truth. And guess what? We have to acknowledge that it's not happening all of a sudden, that it's been happening since the beginning of time. We also have to acknowledge the amount of damage that it causes. The amount of damage that it causes. The same way that you look at this picture here of this house that is damaged, people's lives end up like this when abuse takes place. Watch the downward, the downward spiral or the downhill effect of what happens. In Psalm 39, we get a picture of this. David says, I will not say anything while evil people are near. David says, so I kept quiet, not saying a word, but my suffering only grew worse, and I was overcome with anxiety. The more I thought, the more troubled I became. I could not keep from asking, Lord, how long will I live? Wow. Watch this. The first thing we see is that David didn't talk. He was silent. And one of the first things that happens to victims, to those that have been abused, is they get quiet. Next thing that happens here that we see in this text is that silence actually makes it worse. You and I all have had issues in our life where we didn't address it because we hoped by not addressing it that it was going to get, just go away. 
And oftentimes, emotional pain and trauma doesn't just go away. You got to deal with it. But then thirdly, watch what happens. The silence turned to anxiety and fear. That literally, I was afraid that God didn't love me anymore. Afraid that maybe God has forgotten about me. And then lastly, David asked the question, how long will I live? That silence that turned into anxiety and fear turned into suicidal thoughts. Wow. Church, acknowledge that this trauma can create a lot of damage. For church leaders, let me give you some solutions really fast. Church leaders. I'm a church leader. Many of you that are listening to this message, you're church leaders. We, are, we also have to acknowledge the truth of what many people have carried silently and be sensitive. Everybody say sensitive. Be sensitive to the damage that many are walking around with. And this covers everything from the reality that everybody may not be ready to hug when you see them. Just because we're in church doesn't mean everybody want to hug. We have to be sensitive to what we say. I was at a church one time, and this couple that I knew that was struggling with miscarriages and trying to conceive, they had only been married for a short time. And this older member of the church walked by the couple and said, now, when are y'all going to have children? It's been long enough. Not even realizing that her statement opened up an entire new womb for this family. Let me say this, guys. And I say this in love. There is a point where you meant well doesn't work anymore. There is a point, well, I, I didn't mean any harm. I meant well. There's a point where that doesn't work anymore. So as church leaders, we have to acknowledge this. But then as church leaders, we have to create safe environments and create systems for people to be able to operate in. Now, let me just be very clear what I mean by that. As church leaders, we have to live above reproach. The Bible says don't let your good be evil spoken of. Be careful of the environments and the conversations and how you engage and interact with individuals. But also, we all to hold each other accountable. What are you talking about, Pastor Christopher? When you're in conversation with your girls or with your fellows or wherever you may be, whether it's here or somewhere else, in the gym or at a restaurant, and you hear somebody say, well, man, Pastor Tommy got a new haircut. You know, he's fine. You need to shut it down. If you see a young lady say, oh, I know Pastor Christopher's married, but I'm going to try to get next to him. You need to shut it down. Don't just ooh and ah. I said this is a family meeting. Because you and I both know that there are individuals who the enemy sends into churches as Jezebel spirits to divide and conquer. And we need to shut it down. Somebody say amen. I told y'all this was a family meeting. Let me say to the abusers, there's two clear things that I want to say for you today. Because I don't know if you're sitting here today or not or may listen to this later. But if you are a perpetrator, if you're an abuser, I want to say two things to you today. Number one, while I say that this church is a safe place for victims, 
those who have been abused, those that have been mistreated, it is not a safe place for you. Let me say with every ounce of my being that if you are a perpetrator or an abuser, you can't hide here at this church. We will find you and we will prosecute you to the fullest of the law's extent. Pastor Tommy and I will find you, and we will, we will prosecute you to the fullest of the law's extent. I believe I got some other brothers here and some other ladies here that will help back me up on that. Let me also say this to the abusers. Give me just a minute, Darnell. Thank you. There is a path of restoration for you even if you're an abuser. You don't have to stay stuck in holding your silence in as well. Now, your path to restoration may not be here. It may be somewhere else, but there is a path of restoration for you. As hard as that is for many people who are victims to acknowledge, there is a path of restoration for you. God loves you too. Get help. And if we need to help you find the help, we are safe enough that you can come to us and we'll put you in a place where you can get the help. Let's talk to the victims a little bit, Mindy. Hi, everybody. Tell us a little bit about your story really quickly and what happened from childhood and all the way really in some cases adulthood. To sum it up, I was raised in a Christian home and raised in the church my entire life. I did not start living for God until my early 20s. Uh, reason being is my first encounter with sexual assault happened between the grades of first and third grade in a Christian church and school environment. And this uh, was the beginning of having multiple abusers, unfortunately. So when I turned 18, um, I was confused. I never saw a relationship with God demonstrated. I saw religion, but I never saw a relationship. And so I struggled with the the false guilt issues I had regarding anger. Could I be mad at God, still go to heaven? Uh, the things I was exposed to and that definition of abuse is spot on. The things that I was exposed to, said things that were said to me and what I, I viewed and experienced caused me to question my sexual identity. It caused me to want to die. And so there was a, a time period where I just wrestled. So rather than dealing with my shame and my pain, I got involved with ministry believe it or not. So, yeah, let's, let's clarify that because I don't want this to uh, go over anyone's head. You say you saw religion, but you didn't see relationship. What does that mean? I grew up in a home when there was a lot of anger, a lot of uh, addiction, uh, abuse issues. And so when people got angry, bad things happened. So mm. for me, I wrestled with being angry because I didn't want to be like that. And so um, I didn't have conflict resolution skills. I wasn't taught that in the church. But I learned it like 20 years later in the church, thank God. But um, I just didn't know how to deal with any of that. So you were functioning in ministry, but you were really almost dead on the inside. I was broken. My yeah. brokenness was consuming me. Wow. So I, I think that it's, it's not lost on us then that you could be uh, using church as anesthesia rather than to, being, to the point of being healed. Absolutely. It allowed me an opportunity to escape my pain. Mm. And to be somebody I was not, whether it was worship, serving, 
participating in different things like that, I got to di check out. I got to disassociate, if you will, from my shame for temporary moments. Yeah, I, you know, I think for me as a pastor, and you know, I didn't say this earlier in the message, uh, but just so that everyone here knows, and even those that may watch this later, um, I'm not just saying this theologically as a sermon. Uh, my wife and I too experienced back in 2011 uh, something that happened in, to us that we could have left the church with. Um, and so I understand this firsthand on what it takes to really have to fight to get back to a place where you're even open to what God says. And so what I hear you saying too, though, is this notion um, that we can't let our identity be in the stuff we do. Our identity has to be found in God. Yes, 100%. Um, so fast forward to my early 20s, mid-20s. Uh, I quit my job in Los Angeles to come move to Florida to help start a ministry. Hmm. And uh, still not dealing with my abuse issues. And uh, while I was working in the ministry, experienced some abuse of power, um, watching money be mismanaged, things were promised, different things like that. And now on the other side of it, I forgive these people. I, I hmm. love them. I care. But I just... Wait, wait a minute. You said on the other side of this, I just forgive these... That sounded so easy. Oh, <laughs> let's, no. let's, 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 let's slow down for a second and okay. talk through, like, how did you get from a place where you saw all of this abuse and mismanagement and really this brokenness that you experienced even from childhood to, pre to, to adulthood, and then you say, okay, I, I, I'm going to get back to the place of worship. Like, what did that look like? Well, I knew as a little girl that I was called to worship, mm. and... I didn't know what that meant, but when my grandmother would play hymns on the piano, I would be leaping and dancing and doing my thing. And you know did. everybody doesn't know what hymns are, though, too, right? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Those hymns are songs. I'm 44, sorry. <laughs> Grew up in a different church circle. Old school songs. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. My, you, know, you know hymns, Darnell? Do you know how to play hymns? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so for me, I, I struggled with knowing how I could worship God in spirit and truth when I was angry with him. When I, was, when I was suffering, when I was hurting, because I was taught to be angry with God as a sin. So when I married my husband at the time and all that stuff went down in terms of, I don't know what else to call it. It was just yucky. There was just a And you lot met of, him in the church? I met him in the church. Uh, it was kind of like online church, eHarmony, anybody? But uh, he was in the ministry. <laughs> he was in the ministry. And he was a pastor up north, came down here, and we started a ministry, a ministry for recovery. And, um, so that's, what it, so wait a minute. <laughs> that should be a word for some people right there. Don't just come to church thinking this is going to be a hot date spot. Just because you meet them in the church don't mean they're healthy. Y'all ain't got to say amen, but it's the truth anyhow. Look for the fruit. That's all I'm saying. Look for the fruit. I like that. Fruit inspector. Yeah. Well, the fruit of the Spirit we're talking about, mm -hmm. not, not any other kind of fruit. Amen. <laughs> you said it, I didn't. <laughs> Galatians uh, 5, love, joy, peace, patience, you know, all of that. Yes. So uh, we had to leave our church because of what was going down from an abuse of power situation. And uh, at that point, my, I, I also struggled with the eating disorder, and the eating disorder helped me manage the pain of my sexual abuse. And that ha the time had run out on its ability to numb me out and check me out. So uh, I struggled with knowing where I could get help. Because as a leader, where do you go for help? And so the very place I was attending church was not that safe place for me. So I drove an hour away every week 
just to find help. And I had safe people who looked at me as Mindy, not so-and-so's wife or ministry title, and they let me grieve my pain in healthy ways. Wow. So uh, I'm trying to listen for the hope in your message. If somebody's listening to this um, and they've experienced all of or a portion of what you experienced, what gave you the resolve to say, I'm not leaving God and I'm not leaving the church? I think the seeds that were planted in me in Sunday school, the word of God, put a hunger in my heart to find out really what he said about abuse and shame. And when I discovered that he was as mad about my abuse as I was, Mm. Isaiah 118 says, come, let us reason together. I just stop right there. Come, let us reason. There's an invitation that I believe comes from God where he wants to talk to me and help me work stuff out. A place where I'm safe. I won't go to hell because I tell him I'm mad. Where were you when I can deal with my stuff in a way, you know? And so when I realized that I could walk through the valley of the shadow of death and walk through a season of suffering while trusting in the sovereignty of the Lord, I knew I could worship him in spirit and truth. Mm. And it wasn't pretty. Yeah. It wasn't pretty. Yeah. The shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death is not a pretty place. No. Um, But the psalmist says, I walk through it. Right. Right. I'm not going to get stuck there. I'm going to walk through it. Not only he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. So that tells me I need to have some dignity. I'm being seated at that table with my enemies for a reason. I'm seated there to be seen. After you come out of the valley. Out of, after I come out of the valley. So, so those that meant it for bad will see me on the other yes. side yes. with the good. Yes. In Jesus' name. That's good. That's good. good. Um, because I think, I think even when we talk about this notion of church hurt, church abuse, um, there's this one common thread out there where people say, um, well, I'm, I'm going to love Jesus, but I ain't going to deal with his people. And, and I, think it's, I think when you read the word, right, it's impossible for you to say that you love God and not love his church. It's in the word. The Bible actually says, um, and I don't know if you guys have that verse back there or not. Um, I think it's in maybe James or John, uh, but it actually says that if you say that you love God, but you don't love the church, you're actually a liar. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make that up. The Bible says that. Um, my, I love my wife, right? I love my wife. She's not perfect, but I love her, and I'm not going to let you talk about her. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Now, just because I won't let you talk about her doesn't mean I don't acknowledge her imperfection. And the church is called God's bride, Jesus' bride. So we've got to be careful that we don't allow the discomforts in our own lives to cause us to get in error with God himself. Absolutely. And so it's, it's been very uncomfortable confronting mm. the pain. Yeah. But the word tells me, I'm reminded what Jesus said. He was like, peace out, disciples. I got to go so the comforter can come. Mm. So... I've embraced uncomfortability as Holy Spirit's job to help me feel comfortable and safe. Yeah. And so I've been able to forgive multiple people and some of my abusers. I'm still working on forgiving others. Mm. But it wasn't until I really dealt with the secondary symptoms of yeah. the sexual abuse, the, the, the eating disorder, the codependency, the workaholism, all that stuff, until I was really able to realize that, okay, I need to start dealing with this pain. And so when I learned how to accept hardship as a pathway to peace, Mm. that set me free. And it still sets me free. So now I know I'm not defined 
by the abuse, what the enemy used to harm me, God is using it for good Yeah. in ways I don't understand, but I have a confident hope in Christ because of those Sunday school seeds. I'm telling you, Wow. Sunday school seeds kept me sane the word and of God. helped me to teach me that I could trust his sovereignty while I walk through those seasons of suffering and that I could still be his worshiper in spirit and in truth, even though I'm in pain. Because in the church circles I grew up in, you can't be a victim. You can't be mad at God. You name it, you claim it, you this and you that. And there's a, I was just wrestling with a lot of condemnation and confusion. But then when I got in this thing for myself, the word, yeah. man. One of the things that I hear you saying that you didn't say directly is that often we can't get healing in the same place that inflicted the pain. Right? That oftentimes 100%. we've got to go into another environment to get healed that it's a different environment than where the pain took place. Absolutely. And because I found a place, I'll be an hour away every week to find that healing. Yeah. It helped me to, to take that brokenness. God has taken that brokenness and he's slowly making it into wholeness. Yeah. And so now my heart towards these abusers is one of love and forgiveness. Yeah. Again, I'm trying to work on a couple others, but I pray for restoration all the time with mm. the church hurt folk. Yeah. Um, and I'm just asking for God's will to be done with the sexual abuse uh, folk. Wow. So as we kind of start landing this plane a little bit, um, let me give you a scriptural reference that even after today is over with, you will be able to go and read this passage and see how God wants to give you context for what we've talked about today and what you've heard through Mindy's story. Um, you heard the word a lot here, wrestle, right? Many people are wrestling with God about the whys and the what's and the how's. And uh, there's a passage where in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob wrestles with God. He literally is wrestling with God. And, and the Bible says that, that he was left alone. In verse 24 of chapter 32, he was left alone. And the place that he was left alone, the place is actually called Jabbok, J-A-B-B-O-C-K. That word Jabbok literally means the place of wrestling. So he was left alone in a place of wrestling. And yet he says to God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. See that incredible hunger there. That incredible hunger where he's wrestling with a whole lot of stuff. And he says to God, I'm not going to let you go until, me, until you bless me. So I want you to see the place where he was. I want you to see that he's wrestling with his past. The name Jacob literally means trickster. And when you go to Genesis chapter 25, you actually discover that from the womb all the way through Joseph's life, his life is a life of struggle. The Bible says in chapter 25 that literally his, that Jacob had a twin brother named Esau, and the two of them are getting ready to be birthed with their mom. And the Bible says that literally as, as Esau is coming out of the womb, that Jacob grabs Esau's heel because he wants to come out first. He's wrestling with his past because his entire life has been a life of struggle. And you, through, you look through the entire life story of Jacob and you see moment after moment where he's fighting for something. He's fighting for his brother's birthright. He's fighting for identity. He's fighting for this. He's fighting for a place. He's fighting for acceptance. His current predicament, when we meet him in chapter 32, which I'm asking you to read later on, he and Esau had had, had a broken relationship as brothers. And he hadn't seen him in a while, but he sends for his brother 
And the Bible says that when his brother is coming toward him, he's actually coming with a bunch of other men. And Jacob is worried if his brother is actually coming to receive him or coming to kill him. He's wrestling with that predicament. But here's the most important part that I want you to see. And man, when the Holy Spirit showed me in the text, it, my light, the light bulb just went off. Jacob is actually wrestling with his life purpose. He's trying to figure out, does God even have a purpose for my life? Pastor Christopher, how do you see that in the text? Let me show you. It's in the text because God, as he's wrestling with Jacob, he changes Jacob's name. He changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Now watch this. The name Jacob means trickster. You're fighting in your own strength. The name Israel means God fights on your behalf. Watch this. He's saying to Jacob, listen, all of your life you've been fighting to get what you want, but I'm going to change your name to where I'll fight you to get you what you need. He changes his destiny. And what God wants to say to you and I today, you're not going to fix everything today through a sermon, but this just starts the pathway to get you on a place where when you start identifying yourself, you're no longer the pain, the problem, the predicament that you've walked in. But I'm going to put you on a new destiny. So when you start introducing yourself, you won't say that you're the abused. You're the broken. This divorce happened. You'll say, I got a new name. I got a new destiny. And that's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says to us, if any man be in Christ, <laughs> he's a new creature. The old has passed away, and behold, all things become new. I love this because when you read the end of the text in Genesis 32, as the day is breaking, they've been fighting all night, and that's metaphorical all itself. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. As God says, hey, the day is breaking, the Bible says that literally he touched Jacob's hip, knocks it out of socket but yet tells Jacob, you can live with a limp. What is he saying to Jacob? The limp simply serves as a reminder of what used to be, but not what can be. Wounds turn into scars, and scars only serve as reminders that you've been healed. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Crossover Church in Tampa, Florida. On behalf of Pastor Tommy Colonnan and the entire team, we thank you for being a part of this experience. We'd love to connect with you, so check us out online at www.crossoverchurch.org or on any of our social media platforms. Our weekly services are broadcast live, and you can always catch a previous service on demand on our YouTube channel. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.